Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. My name is George, pastor here at the church in Tuolumne. I'm so thankful that you tune in and listen to our messages. One of these Sundays, you're going to get up and come on down here and visit us, and we're going to have a wonderful time. I'm looking forward to that day. Well, this is the week after Easter Sunday. Praise God. We had a wonderful time on Resurrection Sunday. Um, we were out up on the hill. That's the only recording that you guys got. Because when we got back to the church, we had just a huge celebration and a baptismal Sunday. We baptized five people, and man, what a celebration it was. We had a wonderful time, a great turnout. Everybody brought their families and friends to see them take the plunge and be baptized for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a wonderful time, and I'm so glad that I was there and part of it, and God has blessed this church, and you know, I hope that he's blessing you in these messages that you, you get to hear every week. So last week, out at the cross, I talked about the creed, which is 1 Corinthians 15, the very first few verses, 6, 8 verses, that is actual our creed, that we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. Well, Pastor, we know that. We know that. Well, we do, but there are a lot of people who don't really know that this is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, and we will be resurrected with him on the day that he comes for us or the day that we die. However you want to see it, we are going to be presents with the Lord if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what this chapter is all about. So I'm going to do the first uh, 10 verses over again that we did last week up on the hill. So if you listen to us up on the hill, uh, if you listen to that message, you're going to hear it again today. I'm going to kind of recap it. I'm not going to fill in as much stuff as that I, that I talked about up there. Uh, but we're going to do our very best to get through chapter 15. There's 58 verses, so hold on to your seats. And you know what? If we get to the place where it's time to quit, and we'll pick it up next Sunday right where we left off, and that will be okay too. I'm looking forward to it. This is a very uh, profound, very comprehensive pa uh, chapter, uh, one that makes it very clear of what the resurrection is and that we will be resurrected with our Lord and Savior. He was the first, and many will come, and that is you and me. God bless you. I hope you enjoy the message. Uh, Going to get started here in just a few seconds. Thank you. Well, for our, our visitors, I'll let you know we've been studying through for a couple of years now, verse by verse. Um, I didn't set out to, to attempt to go all the way through the Bible, but it may wind up that way. Um, I've always been more of a topical kind of preacher, and I still like to do that. But for whatever reason, the Lord directed us to start with 1 John over a year ago. We went through first, or excuse me, through John, St. John. We went through that, and then we went through the book of Acts, and now we're going through the book of Corinthians, and we happen to be in Corinthians 15. And this is where we were last week when we had Easter, and I, I didn't preach here at the church, but I did preach a message up on the cross, so if you were there, you're going to say, wait a minute, I think I heard some of this already. And that's okay, because we need to hear it again. 
I only used like the first seven or eight verses of this chapter 15, which is 58 verses long. And I've got about 40 minutes to get that done. And I don't think we will. And that's okay. Because we're not, I'm not going to rush through this. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to slow me down and, and not be so focused on finishing the chapter, but getting the contents of this chapter this is the most comprehensive description of the resurrection in the Bible. I mean, in the Bible. And isn't just about Jesus' resurrection, it's about yours. You should be excited reading this chapter. This is about yours and my resurrection. He's the first fruits. What does that tell you? If he's the first fruit, then there's a lot of fruits coming after him, right? We're a bunch of fruits, and we're coming after him. We are going to see the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul is really trying to make it so clear. Now we understand as we've gone through the book of 1 Corinthians that it's been mostly a corrective chapter. Amen? He's been correcting the problems that were existing in the church and I believe still exist in the church today. And this is no different than the others. Here's addressing another whole new situation and it is in the realm of the resurrection. You're thinking, well, why would he have to talk about that? Well, you'll see. There are people that have some different ideas of what the resurrection actually is or will be. So let's let the Apostle Paul really try to explain this so that you understand. And the first part of it is so beautiful. We call it the creed. This is something every one of you should be able to sow. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, the creed. And let's go through it. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which you stand. Now, remember, he's talking to the church. He's writing them this letter. He's now over in Ephesus somewhere, and he's writing this letter back to the church because he got a letter from them saying, hey, the church is doing all these crazy things. You remember all the subjects that we've talked about. You know, that Paul had addressed, you know, systematically, he's been going through and addressing the problems that he was told about. And he says here, I preach this to you and you received it. Verse two, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast to that word, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. You know, I got to talk about that a little bit by which we are saved, this truth that he is about to give us, and, and we're just about there. But you know, there are people that have believed in vain. There are Christians today in churches that are not saved. I'm not saying they're not good people, but they haven't really gotten saved. They've never really accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're, they're doing it in vain. I don't think we see that in this church because we got a good Bible-believing pastor that's going to make sure you understand why we're here and what we're doing. But it happens, and it was happening in this church in Corinth. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, you guys, when he says according to the scripture, he's talking about the whole Old Testament. All those prophecies, Isaiah and the Psalms and all the prophecies that talked about his life, death and resurrection, his death on the cross. It's all been told to us in the Old Testament. It's all been given to us. That's the scriptures that he's referring to. 
Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the prophecies, according to those scriptures. That's, that's the creed in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. If you're a Christian and you're wanting to get to heaven and see him, you have to believe that. Well, pastor, I just don't know about this whole resurrection thing. Well, we're going to talk about that in detail today. Then it goes on, verse 5 says, He was then seen by Cappius. I'm going to not elaborate like I did last week. That's Peter. Then the 12. And after that, he was seen by 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Well, today we know that they all have fallen asleep. This was like 2,000 years ago. But when Paul was preaching this, you know, probably 30, 40 years had passed, but there are quite a few people had died. But there's still a lot of these 500 plus the 12 plus others that were still alive to testify that they seen this with their own eyes. This is infallible proof, eyewitnesses, that Jesus Christ died, was dead. They stabbed him in the heart, let him bleed out, brought him down, put him in a cave. And he rose again in three days. And this many people saw it. It's irrefutable evidence that this really, truly happened. I talked about last week, the case of Christ. If you haven't read the book or seen the movie, either way, the book is by far better. But it is good, the case for Christ. It, it shows how infallible this proof really is. Verse 8, then least of all, oh, so verse 7. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Then the least... Of all, he was seen by me also, one born out of due time. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, whom am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. Man, I relate to the apostle Paul here. Verse 10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they, than they all. Yet I, yet not I, but the grace of God, which is in, within me. This is where I relate to Paul. This is just who I am. And it's only because of what God has done inside of me that I am standing here as your pastor today, preaching the living word of God. You have no idea how big a miracle that is. I could spend the rest of the day trying to explain to you how big a miracle it is for me to be standing here preaching to you. That's just amazing. And this is exactly how the Apostle Paul felt. It's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. Verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How could you possibly say that? Well, we have to understand when we're reading the letter, I want you to get clear and understand why we're probably not going to get through this 58 verses. We have to understand the culture in which he was talking to. 
In this Greek culture, saved Christians still had a hard time accepting the resurrection. And Paul was saying, without the resurrection, there is no salvation. If he didn't raise from the dead, then we're all wasting our time, is basically what he's trying to say. We're going to talk about this culture a little bit more in a minute. Verse 13, it says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Verse 15, Yes, if we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. What he's really saying, whom you say he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. You see, there were some free thinkers that were in this church. In this, this Corinthian uh, Greek culture, there was a lot of religious things that they had gotten saved out of, and they didn't believe in, in the resurrection. In fact, there was a sect in, of a Jewish sect. You remember the Sadducees? Do you remember those guys? So sad, you see. They did not believe in life after death. They had this clear understanding of how the body deteriorates when it dies. Do we all have that understanding? Yeah. It doesn't last long, you know. The body goes dead, you got to get it to the morgue pretty quick because it deteriorates rapidly. And they had this knowledge. They knew. And they're looking at this, and it was just like it just, it is absolutely disgusting for you to say that this dead person could rise up again. That body is decayed. And especially three days, after three days, he's going to rise up from again. How could that be? We don't know exactly what they believe, but many believe that the immortality, they may have believed that the immortality of the soul the same way, but no means of the resurrection of the body. It's not, it was made no common sense to believe in the resurrection of our old body. And I kind of understand that way of thinking. I know who I am, I know how old I am, and this old body is deteriorating pretty fast. He's going to give us a new body. And the Apostle Paul is going to try to explain that to us clearly so we have a clear understanding. Look at verse 14. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. That's a sad thought. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Ooh. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. How many of us have loved ones that have already gone home to be with the Lord. And we say that literally, they've gone home to be with the Lord. We believe that they're in heaven. What would it be like if I told you that didn't exist? If you do not believe that Christ has risen from the dead, they're just dead. That wouldn't that be a horrible thing to live with? I couldn't imagine. We deal with, in this little body, we know so many people that have lost their lives. This precious little girl, these other family members to drugs and alcohol and car wrecks and all aging and just so many things. I know our brother Ron Parker's in heaven because I know that he loved Jesus with all his heart. And he wouldn't return if we asked him to. He would say, sorry, guys, this you you wait because we'll all have that up that same opportunity. But imagine how sad of a life it must have been for those 
to believe that once you're dead, you're dead. Then I would really mourn for my mother when she died. I would really mourn for my father when I lost him. If he's just, I'll never see him again. No, we will see him again. But this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to address them. He said in verse 19, he said, In this life only, we have hope in Christ. And if he's not risen, we are, we are of all men the most pitiable. We would be the sorriest people on the face of this earth if what we preach was not true. If what we believe was not true. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. We all have had loved ones who have passed and gone on to glory. I could not bear with death in this world if it were not for the promise of the resurrection in Christ. This alone should be the driving force that compels us to share the gospel with, if it's not your neighbor, at least with your family. How can we not tell someone that we love that they're, is a resurrection after death, after this life. How, how, could we, how could we not tell our loved ones? It should be something that is drawing us to tell the people that we love the most. In your world, each one of you have your own sphere of people, your own world, and those people that you love so much. Are you not telling them that there is resurrection after life? This is what it's about. But look at verse 20. It says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, amen? amen, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is raised from the dead, and he is the first fruit. And you know what that means when they say the first fruit? Is there's more fruit coming. He's just the first. He's the first. That's why, you know, I could get off on this and just go down all sorts of rabbit holes. But remember when Christ died. And he went down into hell, to Hades, that place called paradise. And all those saints who have died before Christ, he gathered them together and he took them to heaven because Christ hadn't died yet. And now all those who have died after Christ, my parents, your parents, loved ones, my grandchild that died, I know that they're in heaven because I've been able to see them and I was able to witness to them and, and when my grandson accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, there was nothing greater because I knew he was dying. I knew the cancer was going to win. You could see it. You knew it. And he believed in Jesus. The last day that I had an opportunity to talk to him, he was laying in almost a fetal position, but he still had some consciousness. And I got down and I said, Kevin, you know you're going to see Jesus soon. And he nods and said, yeah. I said, you're ready. You're ready. Don't worry. Don't stress. Just let it go. And the very next day, he was in heaven. And it was only by miracle that I happened to get there that day because the Holy Spirit prompted me to go down and see my grandson that day. Verse 21. For since by man came death, let me clarify this, read it correctly. For since by man came death, and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You know, this is people who you're ministering to and they're trying to figure this thing out. They're going, wait a minute, you call me a sinner? Uh, yeah, we're all sinners. 
how could I be a sinner? I've been a good life. I've had my, raised my family. I've been good to my wife. I, you know, okay, maybe I swore once or twice, but you, you're calling me a sinner? Yes, we're all sinner because of Adam. Oh, you mean to tell me because one man made a bad choice and listened to his wife and ate whatever fruit that was? Now all have sinned. And I said, yeah, yeah, because of that. But you also have to realize because of one man, his name was Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, gave us all life and resurrection. So yes, by one man, we all fell into sin. And by one man, we're all saved. It's God's plan. And we have to see that and understand it because people think, wait a minute, you're calling me a sinner because of what Adam did how many years ago? 8,000 years ago, whatever that, really? Yeah, but just 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. And he made that right. And we have to believe that. Verse 23 says, But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. Woo, that's us. Praise God. Verse 24, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. We have nothing to fear of death. If you're in right standing with God and believe that Jesus Christ truly has died for your sins and rose again from the dead, you're saved. And we don't have to fear death at all. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to transform into that new realm. Verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. That Jesus Christ is accepted for all that he has done. Verse 28. Now when all things are made subject to him, the son of man, the son of himself, the son himself, thank you, will also be subject to him who put all things under him. That God may be all in all. You know, we've been preaching that Jesus is God. He's going to be subject to God here because they are one. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are one unit, one God, not three different gods. Jesus is subject to God because he's part of God. He is God. Verse 29, it says, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? For if the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? There are dozens and dozens of attempts to explain verse 29. Trust me, I spent a lot of time this week reading them. It wasn't even good reading. Yet most of the explanation are plausible. In any case, it is clear that the Corinthians knew what was going on. It was possible that some had been converted into Christianity in order that they would be together after death. You know, isn't that kind of a draw? You want to be with your family forever and eternity? 
then accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and become a Christian. So some of that were, were buying into that, but they still had a different belief set that they had grew up with. Maybe their parents were a Sadducee, or, or maybe they came out of one of those Greek goddesses' temples, you know, where uh, do whatever you want to do, but when, you, when you're dead, you're dead. So they had all these different things that they were raised up with. And, and so Paul is trying to, to convert them completely over to the resurrection. I said, more likely, however, is that in Corinth, some had been baptized on behalf of their already dead relatives in order to bring them to salvation. There are religions that do believe in baptizing into the dead. Into my father's family, I am being baptized into the dead. The, that Paul was dealing with all these kind of things in the church. Paul doesn't get into this debate. Instead, he simply mentions it is a way of highlighting the importance of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection for us, baptism itself is rendered useless. All the work of the apostles and the risk of persecution would also have been in vain. So the church stands or falls on the resurrection. Do you realize, Tyler, if you didn't believe in the resurrection and you got baptized, all we did then last week was get you wet. That's what we would have accomplished. Because, you know, we have to believe in the resurrection. When you went under, you were saying goodbye to the old life and you came out as a resurrected son and child of God. And that's what it's all about. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. Verse 30 said, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Do you understand what he's saying? There was a heavy persecution going on at the time against the church. Why would, why would I preach to you things that I could be persecuted for? Why would I stand every day of my life in jeopardy, is what he's trying to say, and, and risk my own life or jail, prison, to give you the gospel? I affirm, verse 31, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Verse 32, if in manner of men I have fought the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Well, we need to talk about that. What does he mean in the manner of a manner of what he's meaning? He says in the manner of men, what he's saying, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking is what he's saying. And I fought the beasts of Ephesus. Well, that could mean several things because he received a lot of persecution in Ephesus. He has seen the bad things. He was fed to the lions at one point. He was tortured, stoned, left for dead. This all happened around Ephesus. What advantage would it be for him? He's already fought that battle, and I'm still going to stand here and believe in the resurrection. This is what he's saying. It's like, I have fought that battle, and what did I do? Did I do it for nothing? If you guys can't believe in the resurrection, did I do that for nothing? Because that's how important the resurrection is, and that's why the Apostle Paul took so much time in this letter to tell us how important it is that we understand and we believe in the resurrection. 
Verse 33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Hmm. You should post that on your refrigerator door. Or maybe on your mirror in the bathroom while you brush your teeth. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Do I need to say that again? Who are you hanging out with? Evil company corrupts good habits. It just does. It does. And that's what he was saying here. He, he, he tries to tie it into the whole thing. I've, I've been here. I've done that. Verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Ouch. You realize there are people out there that don't know or have knowledge of God today? Can people see that you're a Christian? I mean, I don't see anybody wearing Jesus hats in here. And does that even mean you're a Christian? Can they tell you're a Christian by how you act or how you present yourself? Maybe it's time to be a witness as to what Jesus has done for you. Because that's really the testimony that you have. Is what he's done for you. The difference he's making in your life. That's your testimony. And you tie that into the gospel. It's so easy. Well, why do you believe that? Because he died and he was buried and he rose again. And he lives today in me. And I'm trying to share that with you. So that you have that same freedom. Verse 35. But if someone will say, well, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I think that's a fair question. Is anybody with me? That's a fair question. It, you know, what body do they come with? So he begins and he starts off by saying, foolish one. Don't you know? Verse 36. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. That little bean you're planting. Cute little bean. I should have brought one. You put that bean into the soil and it has to die before it resurrects into a bean plant. And that's what, it's, it's so simple. That little piece of corn, that little corn seed, that corn seed is put into the ground and it dies. It has to die in order to resurrect into a new plant, into something that's going to produce many corns. That's what he's saying. Verse 37, And what you sow, you do not sow that the body, that body, that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. What you sow, this here, it's a seed. This, I'm just in a body, and I'm a seed. This body, praise God, you're not going to have to look at this in heaven. I'm going to be at least six foot two and about 180 pounds and really good looking. I, I know. I just believe it. And here's the great thing is you're going to recognize me. You're going to say, wow, you're good looking and say, wow, Tim, you are too. Man, praise God. Because this body is not going to go to heaven. 
He's talking about that. This body is going to be planted in the ground and up forth comes a resurrection. He says, verse 38, but God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed as its own body. All flesh, verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh of fish, another flesh of birds. Verse 40, there are celestial bodies, there are terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the terrestrial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. All right, what's he talking about here, Pastor? Well, he's using some big words. Celestial is heavenly, heavenly in the heavens. Terrestrial is ground, is earth, it's earthy. Terrestrial is, is what we are, terrestrial bodies. And we do our best to take care of these bodies. That's giving it glory. I'm sure most of you have showered recently because y'all smell pretty good. That's giving our body glory. Whether we like to admit it or not, we take care of the thing that God has given us. We do the best we can. And if I don't wash it up, I'm not going to smell good. And you're not going to want to even hear me because you're going, oh, man, that guy don't smell good. You know, so we give the body glory by taking care of it, by washing it. It's not the body, though, that's going to go to heaven. It's just a seed. He goes on in 41, he said, there is one glory of the sun. There is another glory of the moon. And there is another glory of the stars. And one star differs from another star in glory. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption and is raised and in corruption. Well, there it is. It's sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. He says in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. When we are raised up with that body, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Verse 45, nope, 44, thank you. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He's talking about Jesus Christ is the last Adam. Verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural afterward, the spiritual. He's trying to let these people know this old body is going to be buried. Unless Jesus comes, and he's going to talk about this in a minute, there'll be some that will be, remain alive when Jesus returns. So let's go ahead and read that. He says, verse 47, the first man was saved of the earth, made of dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of the dust. Guess what you were made of? The dust, because we're terrestrial. We're here on this earth. And it says, and as, and as is the earthly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Those who have gone on before us are in heaven with their heavenly bodies. 
Verse 50, now I say, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Does that make sense to you? The kingdom of God cannot accept corruption. So we're not going to have these old dying bodies. We're going to be something else. He says in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Wow, what's he talking about here? Well, the mystery, when he says, I'm telling you a mystery, he's telling you something that's never been wrote in the word of God before. He's telling us something new. It's a mystery. It's never been told you before. Not anyone will die. Not everyone will die. There will be Christians still alive on this earth when Christ returns, and we all hope to be part of that number. But let me tell you something that you may not like. We probably won't. Now, maybe a few of you younger guys, Tyler and Tyler, and a few of you guys might. I think there's a lot of stuff this world still has to go through before Christ returns. I really do. And I think more than likely that we're probably all going to go home through the grave and be resurrected into heaven because I think there's a lot of things that this old world has to go through before his return. There's a lot of things, and here's probably one of the biggest one. If Jesus came back today and we were resurrected and taken out, well, wouldn't that be great? Be caught up in the sky with Christ and going on to a new world, a new heaven, a new earth. What about the millions and millions of people that aren't saved right now in this world? If that doesn't bother you, then there's something wrong. It should concern every one of us. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. Yeah, Jesus is coming today, but what about my brother? Does he really know? Is he really, does he really know? That, that, <clears throat> is he going to be there? What about, what about my sons? Do they really know? What about the people that I love around me, my neighbors, the people that I love, I see every day at the store? Do they know? We've got work to do, people. And I think probably that's the only reason why Christ doesn't return. This world is gone. Sodom and Gomorrah, I think, by 10. But there's so many people that are unsaved. And we thank God that the precious love of God has given us more time to reach those. To reach the lost. He says in verse 52. Am I really at verse 52? That's right where I'm at? Okay. Wow. He says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The twinkling of an eye. That's the time it takes for light to enter the eye and reach the back of the eye and be reflected and back out. Light travels at 166 miles per second. 166,000 miles per second. So twinkling an eye is about one billionth of a second. The blinking of an eye is slower, but it's still too fast for us to recognize. That's how fast we're going to be changed. In the blinking and twinkling of an eye. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to worry. God is going to save us and change us. Verse 53 says, For this corruptible... For this corruptible must be put 
on incorruption. This corruptible, did I say that right? This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immorality. Verse 54, so when this corruption has been put, when this, thank you. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immorality, immortality, thank you, then shall be, then shall be brought to pass the same that is written, death is swallowed up by victory. Amen. In victory. Verse 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Do you guys understand what he said there? The sting of death is sin. How many ever been stung by a bee? You know, that bee dies after he stings you. He has one shot at this, and he picked on little old you, you know, to sting you. But we don't have that sting of death anymore. And the, the strength of the sin was the law which brought out our sin to our attention. If it wasn't for the law, we'd walk around not even realizing we're sinning. Praise God for the law because it brought it to our attention. And that gave sin the strength. Well, that's really what you want to do over there, buddy. That's <laughs> a lot of fun. That's what gave sin the strength was the law. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Did you guys get a pretty clear picture of the resurrection? Your resurrection? You know, his people, you know, this whole Christianity thing is kind of bizarre, really. You know, somebody dying for your sins and Adam, the first guy, because he ate the apple or banana or whatever it was, you know, caused us all to sin. I just, you know, to the world, it sounds like just such foolishness. But when you begin to study it and see the intricacy in it, I've got two more pages of stuff here took, taken all out of a, the book of Case for Christ, and I'm not giving that to you because I did it. It's almost 12 o'clock. <laughs> but you know what? It is so good. It, we need to know this stuff. We need to understand how it's going to work. We don't need to be afraid. This old body, and I thank God, is not going to heaven. I do my best. I know I gained five pounds since I lost all that, and I gained five pounds back. I, you know, it's like this battle that's always going to... Probably till the day I die, I'm going to be fighting this thing. I'm going to lose that five pounds and try to keep on going. But it's just, it's just this. Then there's cake in, in there. Cake. Cake. Who did that? Yeah, it's you. Yeah. I want a piece of that cake and some coffee. Man, that just sounds so good right about now. That would soothe my sore throat. Ugh. Tony, would you come back? Yes, amen.